Good morning, church. Good morning. Beautiful day today, amen? Amen. amen. Y'all want to give it up for the VBS peoples that put all this together? It's pretty amazing. They did a fantastic job. I'm sure a lot of hard work went into this. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. So right now, are we dismissing children? If you have children that are under the age of 12, 11 and under, then you're dismissed to core kids. If you guys can stand for the reading of the word, we're actually going to do our scripture memory verse together standing up in Colossians. And that is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. If you know it, then say it. If not, then read it. It's going to be the New King James Version, and this is our memory verse that we should be working diligently to remember. It's the theme verse for the series, It's All About Jesus, from the book of Colossians. So all together, out loud, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Amen. Put your hands together for Jesus on that one. We're only going to do it one time. We did the switch up there, and we were doing it three times. And then you guys can stay standing for the reading of the text. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Scripture says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. I'm going to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this privilege that it is to speak on your behalf to your church. God, I thank you, Lord, for being with us by your spirit that abides in us, each as believers. God, I pray that this service would glorify you. I pray that your church would be edified. I pray that those that do not know you that may be here today, Lord God, I pray that you would bring conviction upon their heart, that you would draw them to repentance and do what only you can do, Lord God, and bringing someone from death to life. Father God, I thank you so much for you loving us first. We love you back. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So... Oh, man. I love it when I get the opportunity to preach. It's so amazing. Um, It is a gift. Um, And I thank you guys for all being able to make it out. Thank you for some of the guests that came out, some some peoples from my uh, place of employment. So I I appreciate you guys. It's good to see the faces here. Um, As we unpack the four verses, we must first realize that this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the Eclectos. It was written to the chosen ones of God, right? That's who this letter was written to. It was written to the church. It was written to Christians. And the letter doesn't apply to everyone. Paul is specifically warning the church at Colossae of the heresy, the false teaching that was bringing them back into bondage under the regulations of man, regulations that have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh, no victory over sin and death. And he reminds them that their victory is in Christ and 
their new life in Christ. So what was happening and what we've been going over up to this point in chapter 3 is Epaphras was, he was converted in Ephesus. He came over to Colossae. And I got a little, a little map, too, I want to show you guys, just so you see. Because, you know, the Internet makes everything, like, really close now, right? So, Turkey, that's where Colossae was, right? It is, right? It's modern-day Turkey. So, it's just a hop, skip, and jump away. It's not that bad. Um, thank you for the map. You can, you can turn that off now. But anyways, I wanted to show you guys that because it's just interesting to see. Like, this is, this, the text is alive. The scriptures are alive. Right? They're, they're, they're history. It's a collection of historical documents that are reliable, that we, can, that we can run to for instruction and teaching and so forth. But Epaphras, whenever he was running, he was, he was the pastor of his church at Colossae, he said, man, you know what? They're starting to be lured away from a dependency on Christ to a dependency on regulations of man. Asceticism? Asceticism. He preached on that last week, right? Where it's like you're depriving yourself. You know, you're, you're maybe even mutilating yourself. You're, you're hindering yourself, right? It's a false piety, a false humility because you're thinking it's drawing you closer to God. They were depending upon the laws of the Jews, the traditions of man. And they thought as if though that was going to bring them closer to Christ. So he had a great concern. He said, I'm going to go visit Paul in Rome. I know he's in prison, but hopefully he's got some good advice for me. Paul ends up penning a letter which is the letter that we're reading from and that we're studying the book of Colossians. And Paul was saying, look, do not focus on the things, the things that are a shadow of, of what was really to come. Right? Christ is everything. He's not just something. He's all that you need. Remember, you've been called out of darkness and into fellowship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's reminding them. It's a letter of encouragement. Not so much just a letter of correction, but as you, as we're reading back through it, it's, it's a lot of encouragement that's taken place where Paul is really saying, pay attention, don't forget. And I, and I got a little illustration in my mind where I was thinking like, if you're going to a bride and you say, hey, look, there's your groom and you point to the shadow on the wall, the groom standing aside, it's, it's the shadow you're pointing to. There, there's no life in that shadow. There's no relationship in that shadow, Right? And Christ is our groom, right? We are the bride. There's no victory over sin and death over the shadow of what was to come. And Christ is the promise that was to come. He's what, he was who was prophesied about from the Old Testament. He's the one that we are to cling to because he fulfilled all of the prophecies to bring life. So the story that God started in Genesis and bringing it the promised of salvation all the way through the Old Testament into the New was Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that was perfect and without blemish. So all the blood that was spilt to cover our sins temporarily from the old ceremonial laws, that was old. That was history. It was a shadow of the perfect lamb that was to come to be shed on our behalf to cover the sins of humanity once and for all, for all those who would ever believe. Amen? The high priest, we needed a high priest back in the Old Testament. They needed the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifice, to do it on our behalf to cover our sins, right? We don't need that anymore. We have Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church has it wrong. We don't need a high priest to be the mediator between us and God. Jesus is the high priest, amen? The veil that was there from the Holy and Holies that separated the Holy of Holies from the, the lay person, right? 
was torn whenever Christ was crucified. There is no veil separating us from God. Amen? Amen. So that's what Paul is writing to the Colossians. He says, look, remember, like that stuff is, there's no life in that. You have the real deal. You don't need what's empty. It's an empty cistern. It's promising you something, but there's nothing. So just as the church in Colossae struggled with false teachings that pulled them away from dependency on Christ, the church has always battled with false teachings that pull us away from dependency on Christ. And today, some of the ones I want to point out, just real quick, I mean, there's, I could probably, we could, we could do a whole conference on things that pull you away from dependency on Christ, but at the core of what it is, it's, it's, it's idolatry, and a lot of it's self-idolatry, right? Like YOLO, it's all about you, right? Your entitlement, what you want, what makes you happy, what's relevant to you, what's your interpretation, Right? That's really at the core of what it's all about in regards to things that are pulling us from dependency on Christ to dependency on self or anything else for that matter. So some of these you probably heard. The first one is, and this is modern day church, truth can be anything. So you may have heard, your interpretation is yours, my interpretation is mine. Truth can be anything, not just in the church, which is bad enough, right? Like you're interpreting, interpreting the book of Acts like that. I'm interpreting it like this. So I can do this. You can do that. And we're both okay. That, that reminds me of a common core, right? You heard of this common core curriculum that's being taught to the kids, right? Like one plus one isn't two anymore. It's like really weird. It is always two and it always will be two, right? There's no not two, right? One plus one equals two. So in the same regards, truth can't be anything. Truth is truth. But not just in the church, even outside of the church. Right? And this is what brings so much confusion. The Mormons, right? They have the truth. The Jehovah Witness, they have the truth. The Catholics, they have the truth. Muslims have the truth. Buddhists have the truth. Atheists have the truth. Evolutionists have the truth. Everyone has the truth, so to speak. Truth can't be anything. And as Christians, as the church, as the bride of Christ that we are, the foundation of our truth is the authority of the word of God. The closed canon, the 66 books, that's our truth. That's our standard. That's our rule. Another one's entitlement. I have the right to. It's my life. Entitlement is infiltrating the church that's saying, hey, don't be dependent upon the gospel. Be dependent upon you and your entitlement because you have the right to do whatever you want to do. That pastor can't tell you. Who is he to judge? Your parents can't tell you. Who are they to judge? And what happens is not just the entitlement, but you, go, you can find a pastor that agrees with you. And a building where people are gathered that's labeled a church that really isn't a church at all. It's, it doesn't house the church, right? If it has false teaching and it has wolves in sheep's clothing, like it's not a church. But people feel entitled to do things their way and to serve God how they want to serve God. And that is drawing you away. Paul would be writing a letter today to America saying, remember and the title of the message is Fixed Focus, right? Remember, focus on Christ. 
Focus on Christ. He, he, he took you from death to life. Like he's washed you clean. He's made you a new creation. Focus on Christ. Don't focus on you. It's not about you. You're not entitled. Just die to yourself, right? Serve him. Love him, right? And, and the last one just of the three that, I, that I'm bringing up is, is um, governing from anything but Scripture, Right, So the standard and rule we talked about, so maybe you've heard things like, well, it seems right, it feels right, others think it's right, who are you to judge? This is the battle that we have. Maybe you guys have engaged in some of these conversations where it's like, well, well why is the Bible the truth? Why not the Quran? Or, or, or why, why not the Book of Mormon? Why, why do you, why are you so close-minded? Governing your life, governing salvation, governing eternity, governing how to serve God from anything but Scripture is an issue in our church today that draws a dependency away from Christ and to things that are empty cisterns, that bring no salvation, that bring no life, that bring no joy, that bring no fulfillment. And ultimately, if you gain the whole world, it brings no relationship with God. And you will be told, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. Church, we got to guard the church the way that Paul was guarding the church. Paul loved the church. And he wrote the letter saying, please stay fixed upon Christ, the victory that you have in Christ. You're not alienated. He loved you first. Love him back. So the first four verses in Colossians chapter 3 are the instructions to refocus ourselves as born-again Christians and to put on the new self the new creature that we've become in Christ. The old is gone. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I just, I found a video that I liked. You guys, if you've been here long enough, you know I like showing a couple little clips whenever I preach. So this one here, it's, um, it's a short one. It talks about your identity in Christ because it's fitting for us to remember and stay focused on who we are in Christ. Uh, first video, please. Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me his child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question. 
Sound familiar? Marisol? Wow. I am who you say I am. We didn't plan that. Um, so I think it's important, church, that whenever we're trying to get refocused on Christ, that Christ is our fixed focus, that we remember who we are and who the scriptures declare us to be. The big idea is we must be focused upon Christ to be of any real value to the culture. We must be focused on Christ to be of any real value to the culture. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'll try to unpack that a little bit. So to impact culture for Christ, we must be a people that are consumed, overwhelmed, passionate about Christ. We need to sleep, breathe, and speak and live the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't be half-stepping men and women of God that accept anything and everything. We can't be a people of God that accept sin and aren't broken by the things that grieve God. We must be a people that scream holiness, scream righteousness, scream repentance, and boldly proclaim the truth of God's word. I want you to think about that now. When I say scream, it's, it's, a, it's an illustrated term for a reason. What does culture really need? What do people really need? It's so elementary we overlook it and we overcomplicate it. What they need as believers in Christ, they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to be redeemed from destruction. I mean, we can go on with a whole lot of symptoms that need to be solved, right? There's struggling marriages. There's kids that are going wayward, right? There's addictions. There's pains. There's sufferings. There's a lot of things taking place. But at the core of the need, it is relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what they need. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we need, right? Because it goes back to that whole idea, that whole text that says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? If you fix everything, you fix all of the symptoms, and they still die and go to hell, have you given them what they need, church? Have you done what you're called to do as an ambassador for Christ? Absolutely not. We failed. So whenever I say scream holiness, scream righteousness, we have to, to really like, we really got to grasp that, church. We really got to take that and run with it. I think, you know, this message, obviously, when I'm preparing for it, it really, it always goes to the preacher first, and it, and it did, and, it, and it's, it's convicting. It really is. Um, you know, if you guys are like me, I, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough sometimes, and it's not doing so that I can earn salvation. I know where my salvation is secure, it's secure in Christ, but it's just doing because the time is so little. Right? How much time do we have here, right? It's like we don't get it back. So it's a little bit convicting. But this is, should be an encouragement to you guys, a reminder at the very least. Our world doesn't need philosophies of men or books that make them feel good about themselves. Amen? Amen. Amen. I heard a preacher say, your, your best life now, and made a mockery of it and said, the only way this could be your best life now is if you're going to hell. Right? Because if you're going to heaven, this ain't your best life now. I'm just saying. Um, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power of God unto salvation. They need to be rescued from their sin with hopes to spend eternity with God. We will not impact the world as ambassadors of Jesus without responding to the if-then that the Apostle Paul writes in verse 1. Verse 1, this is point number 1. It says, seek those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek those things above. Three one, chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then, 
This is the if then we got to respond to, church. You have been raised with Christ. Remember I told you, this is a letter written to the church. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Church, what you seek and to the depth and the determination you seek it will show the value that it is to you. Whatever you're seeking and how hard you seek it reveals how important it is to you. Right? So when it's talking about seeking God, seek God like $10,000, not like 25 cents. Right? Let's illustrate that. Hey, we're running late. We have an important meeting to go to. I ain't going nowhere. I just lost $10,000. Like, it's in here somewhere, and I'm going to search for it diligently because I just lost $10,000, and I know it's got to be here somewhere, right? Hey, we're running late. We're going to be late for the appointment. We got to go. I just lost 25 cents. Man, come on. We got to go. Okay, we got to go. You're not going to try to search for the quarter, right? How important is that quarter to you? But the $10,000, man, I got to find that money. That's important to me. Can pay a lot of bills with $10,000, amen? <laughs> Buy a lot of diapers, amen? Can I get an amen some people out there? Right? <laughs> the word seek that we see here that, that Paul, is pen, he penned here is the same word seek that we see in Matthew 6.33 when Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. It's uh, zeteo, if you guys want to know what the Greek is. Um, the other thing is, is don't just discard as a Christian, right? Oh, I've been a Christian 25 years. I seek God. Don't just discard that. Measure. Everything's measurable, right? If you've got a workout plan, you're measuring what you're doing in the workout so that you can keep yourself accountable or those can keep you accountable to say, okay, no wonder why there's no results because we're measuring the time you're spending in the gym and it's very little, <laughs> right? We're measuring it. Right? We're measuring what you're eating. We're measuring everything. Everything is measurable. Everything. You know what's the really funny about that is I wasn't even thinking of that analogy until I looked at Dave and I'm like, oh, I got a good one. <laughs> I said, it's the truth. That was inspiration. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a good one. Um, but measure yourself. Don't just say, oh, I seek God. Measure. Let other people measure for you. Right? Because nobody would have had to have been a rocket science to see how frantic I was looking for this $10,000 and say, oh, that $10,000 is important to him. Or see me not looking for the quarter to say, oh, that's not that important to him. People should be able to look at your life. Some questions you're going to ask yourself is, is what consumes your time? What is occupying your time? You wake up in the morning. What do you do? You go about your breakfast time, your morning time, whatever that is that you do, your drive time, your work time, in-house or out-of-house, right? Your evening time, your bedtime. Like, make a note of this stuff. Like, measure it. Are you seeking Christ? Are you seeking him like $10,000 or like 25 cents? Measure it. You are a Christian. You are a child of God. We have to get our focus back because the world needs the gospel. We cannot be dead to this church. We cannot be lukewarm. We cannot be apathetic to the needs of our culture, the needs of the world around us. And if we're not full, we're not pouring anything out. 
If we're filling ourselves with the things that are of this world, we are not full of anything that can bring value to those who need it. Unless you're trying to solve a temporal need or a symptom. What occupies your thoughts? And where is your money being spent? These are just three simple questions. You could probably, again, we can create a big old list that helps you measure, right? But what occupies your time, your thoughts, and your money? These are just simple measuring sticks for you to evaluate yourself quickly. How hard you're seeking after Christ. Set your mind on things above. This is point number two. If you have uh, an outline and you're taking notes, which, by the way, is very beneficial because as you are taking notes, hopefully you can have someone to share those notes with. So maybe somebody you're mentoring or whatnot, and you can refer back to those notes. Um, so they're a good discipleship tool. Um, <clears throat> set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. When, we think of, when I think of this verse, I think about two things. I think of an astronaut, like on Mars, right? I think of that movie, Martian, Matt Damon, where he got stuck out there. He's wanting to come home. His mind was not on, I mean, he had to do what he had to do. He's a botanist, he's making, you know, doing his thing, right? But he wanted to come home. That's where his mind was at, right? Or someone in the military, they're on the front lines, and maybe they're in between battles, and they're sitting in their bunk, they're laying down, they pull out a photo of their wife and their children. They don't want to be there. They want to be home. That's where their heart's at. That's where their mind's at. Right? I heard a preacher say that earth is a dressing room for eternity. Right? Like, this is not where we belong. This is temporal. Right? But we're here for a reason. We're here for a season, and God has us here for a time such as this. Like, don't take it in vain, right? But seek the things that are above is what Paul is talking about. Right? It's a remedy. Right? Don't depend on all of that stuff that's an empty cistern. Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. Set your mind on the things above. Jesus loved you first. He invited you to fellowship with him. What kind of companion are we being to Christ? Do we know him? His word describes him. His word talks about him. He's the living word that became flesh and dwelt among us from genesis to revelation hide his word in your heart get familiar with his word set your mind on things above dream of heaven look towards heaven commune with him frequently as you go about your day how could we not church Whenever you think about the, song, the songs that we sing and just the fact that I am a child of God. Like, man, and I'm so guilty of this. We got to take time to meditate on that thought. Not while we're driving in between locations, like on our knees, broken, saying, I am an ambassador for Christ. You called me out of darkness. I was, I was separated. I was an enemy of yours. I was self-seeking. I was not pursuing you, right? I was, I was an enemy. But you brought me into fellowship. 
You brought me into relationship. I am a child of the Most High, the one that created the heavens and the earth, the one that tells the ocean's waves how far they can come and set the sun far enough away so we don't melt, but yet so close enough so we don't freeze. Like, this is the God that we serve, the stars that are in the expanse of the sky. He spoke them into existence. And we're a child of the Most High? Like, let that sit with you for a minute. Like, that should cause you to tremble. Right? It is amazing the title that we have as children of God. The least we can do is respond with gratitude. He's opened up the door of communication. He's not like, like a long-lost uncle that, that went to war and you can't find him or speak with him. He's there. Right? And he invites us into fellowship and relationship. Our minds have to be programmed with Scripture, church. I'm just going to go through a, a few Scriptures. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 16 says, uh, but we have the mind of Christ. Another one that should just blow your mind if you just let that sink in. We have the mind of Christ, right? First Corinthians 2.16, it's, it's in the context of him talking about how the natural man does not understand spiritual things. It's foolishness to him. The things of God are discerned by the Spirit. They're understood through the Spirit. And he's given us the Spirit. Adopted children of God that we are. Now we have the mind of Christ? Incredible. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You remember that line? So there's this line in the sand, right? And on this side of the line is Christianity. It's the authoritative word of God, Christianity. And on this side is everything else, right? Remember that anything goes that we just, that I mentioned earlier, anything goes, no truth, right? Everything's truth. If you are studying to show yourself approved, if you are being renewed and transformed by the renewing of your mind, you're going to know what is good. You're going to know what is acceptable. You're going to know what is right according to his standards. You're going to know what is wrong according to the written word of God. That's your mind being transformed. That's your mind being renewed. There's no reason for confusion. There's no reason for it all, church. There's no reason for us not to have an answer for the hope that is within us. Because we have the written word of God. We make it harder than it is because we're not willing to pursue him like $10,000. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. I guard your heart, church. I took my, my family to see Incredibles 2, right? And this just always amazes me. I remember it with some of the children, usually the ones that it's fresher with. So Mariana, she's there. And she's like real startled and kind of freaked out. And I'm like, what does it matter? And I'm thinking, she's never seen violence at all. She's never seen it. She's never been exposed to it. Her little heart has been guarded. She's, she doesn't know what it is. So it kind of freaked her out that this was taking place, even if it was in a cartoon. So when I was studying, I thought about that. It's like guard your heart with vigilance. How, how desensitized are we to things, church? The access on the internet, the gore that you see. I mean, you, you can just go see anything you want. Like, there's enough out there that we see on accident that we shouldn't pursue it. Guilty, right? I'm not pointing at you. I'm living this with you. Whenever we see like a murder or something like that or a news story, it says it doesn't even affect us like it should. 
We just need to guard our hearts, church. We just got to guard our hearts. We got to make some changes. There's some edits that we need to do, right? Refocus, fixed focus on Christ, right? Let's just take time to do that. You don't know if you have another year to serve Christ and he snatches you into eternity. You don't know if you have two days to serve Christ and he snatches you in eternity. We don't know how long we have. Let's not play with time. Psalms 101 verse 3, it says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless, anything that is vile. Church, what's on your TV? What's in your search history and your internet? What's, who are you following on social media and what are you liking and sharing? This is your world. You're a child of God. I'm not responsible for what you do. But you have a responsibility before the Most High. Right? What content are you clicking on? Kent Hughes, uh, in a book that he, he wrote, uh, Disciplines of a Godly Man, and one of the chapters is Discipline of the Mind. This is one of the quotes. There were so many good ones. I wanted to share them all, but I'm just going to share this one. It's probably not even the best one, but I'm going to share it anyways. It says, A Christian mind demands negation. A Christian mind is impossible without the discipline of refusal. So to have a Christian mind, you have to say no to things, right? It's a constant discipline. Will that honor God? No, I'm not participating. Will that glorify God? No, I'm not participating. Is that going to be a stumbling block? Yes, I'm not participating. That's the defensive side, offensive. If I spend time in God's word, my faith is built. If I hide his word in my heart, I won't sin against him, right? There's an offensive side to what we do with our time and what we put into our minds and heart, as well as the defensive side. But we can't sleep, church. We can't sleep. Otherwise, what happens is we get confused. People got questions. We don't know what's right and wrong because we've been so absent from the presence of God. And then people have questions. They come up to us and they ask us a question and it stumps us like, I don't know. And then you question and you doubt your faith. And it's because you're not being a student of the word. You are not living to the potential that God has placed in you as an ambassador for Christ. And, and look, it's... It, it's okay, like, I'm not going to say it's okay, but repent, right? Like, repent. Yes. Repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to get it right today. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not losing your salvation over this. But we got to make it right. Mm-hmm. Because what's in us is what we pour out into the world. Yes. If the world really needs the gospel, if the world really needs Christ, then we better have it in us. A biblical mental programming cannot coexist with worldly programming. In that same book, he talked about a television, and some of the men will remember this. We did the book together. There was a, te- there was a television network that was going to play Chariots of Fire, and um, they, they played it, but the ratings were so low, they were, they were like, man, we should have never done that, right? It's a Christian, it was a Christian show on like a major network. And the, the point of it, oh, like, I'm like really out of time, um, the, the point of it was, um, I'm like really disappointed right now. Um, the point of, of, of the statistic was that like um, what the church, what the Christian, what Christians are putting into their television sets is the same thing the world is putting into the television sets. 
right? So all of that to say that it, biblical pro, mental programming can't coexist with, with worldly programming. There's another video that you guys, I'm sorry, you're going to stay for second service if you want to see it. Um, <clears throat> third point is um, Christ must be our life. Um, Colossians 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, For when you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, uh, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Um, our life doesn't belong to us. So that whole entitlement thing is just gone. You're not even your own. Or do you not know that your body was the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Therefore, you glorify God with your body and spirit, right? He paid a heavy price to say, I'm going to die for you. You're mine. You're mine, right? If anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily, right? That's what Christ says. So that's what our responsibility is. We don't belong to ourselves, Christians. Um... Are you willing to lose your life, to give up dominion, to wave the white flag, to surrender your entitlement, to forfeit your rights to be you, to do you? We are not our own church, and it's a good thing that we're not. There's no other authority I'd rather be under, not even my own, than the authority of God. And let's not forget that the Bible also says, do not love the world or the things in the world, for he who loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. It's the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. We can't participate in that the way we once did, church. So let's not forget why the Apostle Paul is telling us to do this. Number one, the world needs less false hope, right? That's what the Colossians were doing. They're they're running to the, the shadow of the things to come instead of running to Christ. They need less false hope, and they need more of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will go to the Father but through him. He's the only hope. And full circle, we must be focused on Christ to have any real value to the culture. Uh, again, we want to pour out and make an eternal impact. Uh, we can only do that if we have Christ in us. <clears throat> Closing uh, to the Christian, uh, this is how we combat the flesh. Paul mentions these things to follow up in chapter 2. He says that the self-made religion and asceticism are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So if you really want to serve God, you're not going to be able to do it with the false hope of the empty cisterns. And these things are indicatives to saying that you have been raised with Christ, right? So if then you've been raised, so if you have been raised, if you've been born again, if you're a child of God, if you're blood-bought, if you're trusting in Christ, like you should be seeking things above Right where Christ is seated and setting your mind on things above, not on earth. Um, and to those who don't know Christ, um, not, not just knowing of Christ, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about intimately knowing who your Savior is, right? Um, you can have a relationship with him. The, the Bible says, those who seek me will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Matthew 7, 7 and 7, 8 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to those who knocks, it will be opened. So salvation is of today. Salvation is for you. It's for anybody who has ears to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is this. It is we have all been born into sin, separated from God, right? We were born enemies of God by nature. 
right? We weren't born with a propensity to do good things. We were born with a, a hell-bound propensity to do bad things. We have to be taught to do what is right. But we can't just depend on morality and our moralism and, and our good deeds because those are, again, the shat, those, are, those are empty cisterns, right? They won't reconcile us to God, but we do need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. God came down. He took on flesh. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He became the sinless, spotless Lamb of God that was sacrificed on the behalf of all those who would ever believe throughout time. Right? He was sent to redeem our lives from destruction, to crown us with everlasting life. The Bible says that if we repent and believe that we can have relationship with God, we can come from death to life. We can become a new creation in Christ. So seek him and you will find him. And... Um, there's hope in Christ. Um, I was going to share my testimony as well, um, but y'all have to stay for second service to hear that. Two takeaway questions is, if your day, um, if your day was being measured uh, based on how your time is being spent, would you, cons would you uh, wow, I like really mistyped all of this. Maybe they typed it right. Um, if your day was measured based on how your time is spent, would anyone conclude that you're seeking things above and setting your mind on things above? It's a question for you. Would I conclude that? Would Bishop conclude that? With your close, your, this is the key. The closest people to you, would your spouse conclude that? Would your children conclude that? And then the second question you can ask yourself, uh, is Christ your life? If not, are you okay with that? And um, I think that's it.